Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Listening to Acton Millwall Emergency Broadcasting Special, a public service broadcast made on behalf of the Real Millwall Fan Show and Acton Millwall, broadcasting from South Bermondsey. Welcome to Acton Millwall, hashtag stay at home. My name is Aaron Paul, delighted uh, to be with you this evening, wherever you are. Uh, across the UK and across the world, really, because we do actually have listeners across the world. Um, but we, we, we're happy to bring you a, a very special episode this evening. It's going to kind of be like This Is Your Life, although I'm, I'm not really sort of the Michael Aspel. Uh, Nick is definitely uh, a, 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 of that sort of parish. But uh, the man we're going to be bringing you today um, is, 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 a, is a Lions legend. Someone capped 24 times for his country, playing 339 games. Uh, for Millwall. He also played at Portsmouth, Cardiff City, Cambridge United, and we won't talk about his stint at West Ham. We won't be doing that. Uh, it is, of course, uh, Lions, well, former Lions goalkeeper, David Ford. He joins us. David, how are you, pal? Oh, you lads, what's the crack? Great to be on here tonight, and hello to all the fans that are listening. It's uh, I'm really enjoying, looking forward to this evening. Nick, probably... Aaron. Pro- probably the best goalkeeper Millwall have had. I mean, I, I go back a long way, but David Ford is one of the best goalkeepers Millwall have ever had. Um, in my opinion, the best goalkeeper um, in the last um, 20 odd years. I suppose, you know, the comparisons, it feels strange to be talking about you when you're in, in the same, on the same conversation, David, but yeah, I suppose you... you people start talking about me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the comparisons will be with the greats. I mean, you're talking about the Brian Kings and 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 the uh, the Tony Warners and the Casey Kellers and then the David Fords. You know, these these are great names at the club. I just checked the the uh, appearance stats. I mean, you're 13th in the list of 300 plus appearances for the club and in some high company there. When you when you look, I mean, you, you know, there are the kind of Keith Stevens and the legends of the club. So yeah, I mean, certainly one of the greats of in Millwall history. Yeah, well, I still regularly stay in contact with uh, Brian King, and uh, we do have great laugh. And he does—he's still delighted with the fact that I was one one game off beating his uh, club record of the most appearances for a goalkeeper. So, yeah, uh, to get that close to, as you said, the likes of Brian King and to be in that esteemed company with Casey Keller and Tony Warner, and you know, there's so many fantastic goalkeepers that have that have been at the club and 
as you said, it's difficult always to, you know, always to pick the best. Everyone's got their own ideas and uh, the various styles and the, the various different personalities and characters and stuff like, you know. Who was your, your goalkeeping hero as a kid? I mean, did you dream of being a goalkeeper, uh, David? Yeah, always, always wanted to be a goalkeeper. My brother Nigel was, um, he was probably more um, a natural goalkeeper than what I was. He wasn't as, uh, I suppose, when I was younger, uh, a bit smaller and a bit stockier and a bit heavier. He was more slender and lean and a bit more agility, but he got into cycling right. and, and road racing. And then I took up the, I picked up the gloves from there. So I suppose my brother was my first hero. Right. Okay. Growing up in the nineties in Ireland when the the Green Army and Jack Charlton and Italy ninety and Euro eighty eight and some great tournaments of that time. Um, for me there were special times, Packy Bonner saving a penalty versus uh, Romania to get us into the quarterfinals of a World Cup for the first time ever at our first ever major tournament. So Packy had a big influence. And then Bruce Grobler, I was always a massive Liverpool fan, Ray Clements, Bruce Grobler. And then as I got that bit older, Peter Schmeichel, I always admired. And a big hero of mine was David James. And then to get to work with him um, for three years was was a phenomenal experience. And what I learned from all those men was about adopting me and, and, and my style and uh, how that would help me in, I suppose, my football and goalkeeping journey. I mean, some, some great names. I mean, you've also played in your time with some great managers one way and the other. I mean, I suppose we'll, we'll touch on this as we go through the conversation. But, you know, I was, just, I was just looking at some of the names. I mean, watching the interviews, I mean, you, you've kind of played under Giovanni Trapattoni and was it Marco Tardelli, I believe, with the, yeah. uh, the Republic squad, which, are, you know, <laughs> these, are, these are major, major league names. It's It's been... I think you described it as a scenic route of a journey, <laughs> your, your footballing career. Would that, would that be a good, um, still a good uh, summary of, of, of your kind of journey around the the, uh, the Isles of the, of the British Isles, one way or the other? Absolutely, a hundred percent. Some of the some of the panoramas I've seen were absolutely breathtaking. <laughs> <laughs> every 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 adventure and every journey and. Um, you know, through through playing at various different clubs, it was it was very fruitful. And, you know, everything that I've gained from that has been purposeful. So I learned a lot along the way. And uh, the biggest stint that I did have and the most impactful one on me was, was Millwall. Yeah. Really close, sure. so, so close to me, hard. I mean, that's, that's an interesting point and one I wanted to kind of um, ask you about because, um, I mean, y- your career um, coming from Ireland and I think it was Barry Town, you, you came out from, from, was it Galway Town that you came from originally? Galway United, yeah. Oh, United, sorry. Um, and then to Barry Town in Wales and, um, and then on to uh, West Ham. But it was, it was the, the career struck me as kind of having... Um, I don't know about fits and starts. It was, it was like it never quite got going at various points. Um, and I know you've mentioned in your, um, you know, in, in the interviews that you've done, um, having hurdles to, repeated hurdles to to cross at various times. Um, you must have thought at one point, I think you went back to Ireland after a period at West Ham, that it was never going to happen for you. Yeah, that happened. That seemed to be a, a reoccurring theme throughout my career. Um, and for whatever reason, it's always brought me back onto back into football. It wouldn't uh, chew me up and spit me out just yet. So um, <laughs> going from yeah, it, it it was being a phenomenal journey, you know, starting off and like what I said, you know, I took the unorthodox route. I didn't come through an academy system. I worked as a builder, as a labourer, working alongside my father, bricklayer. Right, right, I did not. Okay. 
then working in the likes of supermarkets as a merchandiser for Cadbury's and Coca-Cola and stocking their shelves, um, all the while trying to play semi-pro football. And luckily enough, I, I met a great man in Galway, uh, former Notts County um, legend Donna Reardon, who scored uh, probably one of the most famous goals ever in the world or in the FA Cup in the 80s against Spurs. He smashed mm. from about 35 yards. So he still talks about it today. Still <laughs> as you would, as you would. <laughs> See that potential and, and, and nurtured it in, in Galway. Looking at, looking at your career, David, I mean, you know, I look at sort of the, the especially the English clubs, obviously I'm, I'm going to sort of pay a, a specific bit of attention to. When you went to West Ham, you had David James ahead of you and then they signed Raymond van der Hal, treble winner and someone who had been so reliable for Manchester United. It was unreal. And, you know, he, he was a very difficult man to dislodge. You went to Cardiff and, I mean, the, the goalkeepers they had there, Michael Oakes, Ross Turnbull, Casper Schmeichel, Peter Enkelman. I mean, Oakes was a fabulous goalkeeper, I know. But it felt like until you got to Millwall, there was no real concrete path for you to, to, to move up sort of the pecking order. Yeah, it was always a goalkeeper that had a lot of potential. And it was certainly something that used to grate, him, grate on me as a, as a young lad growing up. You know, got great potential. But, and I used to always figure out, like, well, how, how do you maximise that potential? How do you get the most out of that? So it was all about a trial and error. You know, it was about, right, that doesn't work, that does work. Um, and trying, you know, various trials and tribulations at various different clubs. And like that, as you said, I've been blessed to be in the steam of some some phenomenal goalkeepers. All the keepers you mentioned there at Cardiff, um, and even Mike Taylor that was at Millwall with me as well. So I learned a lot from from those men. So it was uh, it was it, it was just just a phenomenal a phenomenal journey. Like currently at the moment, I'm I'm just writing my book, and to be journaling that and to be it's such a cathartic exercise, and it just puts everything into context. It just gives it a timeline. And sometimes when I look back on it myself, I'm, I'm, I'm astonished in it because it's like a dream. You know, I finished, I retired last May mm. and now all of a sudden it was like another lifetime. It's like you look back and you think, was that actually real? Did that actually happen? Was that a dream that I get to Wembley four times with Millwall? Did I, you know, play for my country? Did I play for Ireland? Did I, was I at all these clubs? Did I meet all those special people in my life? So there was, there was, it was, it was um, an insane experience. Why do you think Millwall, uh, David? Why? I mean, looking at the you know the previous, I've been to some big clubs there, and West Ham, Cardiff, um, and and yet it was Millwall that um, where you you found um, a place where you'd be the regular first team pick. I'm just looking at my notes here. I mean, you were kind of never present for one, two, three, almost three solid seasons, and then for the bulk of a couple of seasons after that, you never let that position out of your grasp, really. I'm just intrigued, you know, given that, I mean, we were clearly biased because it's a Millwall show um, and we like to think that it's got some um, some special qualities. But I'm always intrigued because some players make it at the, at the den and you're one of them and yeah. other, other players don't. And I'm just looking at the, the, you know, the team of your first game included Lewis Graben, who I think is a very talented player and yet he never made it he just never never clicked for whatever reason i'm not going to go into that but you did click and it's just fascinating to me as to why some do and some don't yeah well i've looked back on that myself and the conclusion i've come to is um any of the clubs i've been at whether it's west ham millwall cardiff 
um, went on trial at Stoke. And all these clubs are, there's just a handful and they're very similar in mentality. You know, they come from a working back, uh, working class background and it just requires, you know, to really em- embellish and embrace the club culture and the club nature that if you can go in there and just give it 100%. And that's the type of person I always was. I always wanted to get ahead. I was very ambitious. I always wanted to do my best. And any time I cross that white line, that's all I give. I just gave it, you know, blood, sweat and fears. I gave it the whole nine yards. And you, I wore, yeah. you know, I wore my heart on my sleeve. And what, what you know, what you see is what you get. Um, and I like to pride myself on that. As I used to call myself Ronsi. Like, you know, I do what I say in the team. So... It didn't, it wasn't always, you know, you know, you have to get in and build that reputation, you know, and it did take a while for me to, to, to win over the fans and win over the club. But that's like an initiation in itself, you know, that you come into a new environment and, you know, you're more or less of an unknown. You've never been a number one at other, at other clubs, probably played mostly in, in the League of Ireland and semi-pro football, which is okay. Yeah. Uh, but then fans are obviously going to be concerned, you know, who's Kenny Jacket signing here? This bit of an unknown who had a good loan spell at Bournemouth and nearly kept us up. Um and he's seen something in me that he felt right, we can we can make this work. And once he I received that phone call, um and it was it was a no brainer for me because when I look back as a child and I look back as a, a young kid, we all have our clubs and there was always an affiliation. I don't know, was it with the line and the badge or was it because of the Irish element, whether it was Dunphy's, Birmingham, uh, yeah. Cascarinos. It, we always had a great uh, read. You know, we always had a great um, core of Irish people and stuff. So it was always something that always attracted me and, and, and caught my eye. And then once once I got that call, I was thinking, right, this is going to be a fabulous project where a team that was struggling in League One, Kenny takes over, very ambitious, wanted to get ahead. He was the engineer and the architect of probably uh, Swansea's ascent. You know, he put in the foundations for that. Um, and when when he sold the club to me, I thought, we, we've got everything here. We've got a fantastic stadium, probably the best stadium in, in League One football. Um, and... We have the facilities, we have the training ground, we have the fan base, we have everything. We could really build something special here. And that's what that's what ultimately sold it for me. I was like, hook, line, and sinker, I'm in, let's rock, lads. How did it all come about, David? Because obviously you're at Cardiff. You you know, I mean, did they tell you you were going to be released? What was the sort of process? And were you looking at anyone else? Was anyone else sort of sniffing around, talking to you? Were there any trials? You know, how did it all come about that you were going to go to Millwall? You know, who made the first contact? Yeah, putting it into a bit of context, uh, the the season before when I was at Cardiff, I finished the season at Cardiff in the championship with them and I played probably, I think, five or six games. And I did really, really well. So I thought, right, I've got a real opportunity. Neil Alexander, another uh, great goalkeeper who um, was having contract difficulties and he left and I thought, right, uh, Dave Jones, the manager at the time, was in the press and he was saying, right, I think we found our goalkeeper for next year. So I thought, Jesus, happy days. Got myself fit that summer, kept myself fit, came back pre-season and I walked into the training ground and I look up and I see my number is still got uh, number 13 up on the wall. And I thought, right, is that just a case of um, keeping the same number? Then there was no other goalkeepers in. Then uh, what you call him, Michael Oakes came in, like what you said. 
and he was looking at me. He still didn't have the number one shirt. So we're sitting in the change room looking out, kind of pointing at each other going, are you number one? And he said, are you number one? I'm not number one. You're number one. So, like, there must be someone else coming in. So at the start of the season, they signed um, Ross Turnbull. And that was a very difficult period because on one hand, the manager was telling me, right, you're going to be number one next year. Next thing I found myself not even in the squad. Um, and over that summer, I could have, you know, got myself out on loan. And by the time all this happened, the loan window was closed. So it was pretty much uh, stagnant. And luckily for me, um, a couple of loan moves came up, one to Luton. And then the, the, the probably a, the game changer for me was going to Bournemouth when they were deeply in administration. And because they were in that impact, they could because there were so the financial uh, restraints against them that they the only player they could bring in was a goalkeeper. So was Asmet Begovic there at the time? Um, no, he was there on loan just before I came, and he went back to Portsmouth. I think before that, I think he was at Yeovil at that time. That's pre uh, Eddie Howe. That would have been Kevin Bond. Oh. Yes, that's right, yeah. Kev Bundy. Harry, was... Harry, Redna- Harry Redknapp's right hand man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bundy, yeah, yeah, gas man. A fierce, funny story about Bundy. Um, we can come back to it if you want to hear it now. Uh, <laughs> so we, we arrived down, arrived down at, uh, uh, what you call it, Bournemouth. And um, we I kept something like, I think, eight or nine clean sheets out of 12 or 13 games. And we were 14 points adrift and we went down there. And we nearly actually stayed up. We just got relegated on the last game of the season against Carlisle. And we went down by a point. It was nearly the great escape. And, and through that, through them games, we actually played Millwall down at, uh, I forget the name of the stadium now. It's uh, Dean Court. Dean Court. Yeah. And we played, we played Millwall. And I thought, wow, this is, this, is, this is a great game. First time I get to play against Millwall, Kenny Jacket, uh, Neil Harris, Paul Robinson. And I saved a penalty from Chopper. Uh, <laughs> And match that game, and uh, I bounced off the pitch afterwards. Absolutely delighted with myself. And Tony Burns, uh, the goalkeeping coach, was waiting in the tunnel. And this man looked like something out of a out of a movie. Short build, stocky, solid as an ox, dark, uh, sallow skin, and the hair of uh, an absolute movie star. No more than yourself. And um, <laughs> He just shook my hands after, and I, I thought, "Wow, that's that's the first time any other opposing goalkeeping coach shook my hands afterwards." So I think that was the the first process where probably caught Kenny's and Tony Burns' attention, and I thought, "Right, we've we've found someone that can do a job for us next year." So that's how it all began. And then during that summer, there was um, I, I spoke with Dave Jones, and. Uh, it was a fierce, funny story. He pulls me into the office and he says, uh, "He says, David, I'm going to let you go, like you know." And I was like, "You know, let me go, but why?" So he was saying, "Look, it's it's not working out and stuff, like you know." So I turned around to him and I says, "I'll prove you wrong." And he says, "You can't." And I was like, "No, I'm going to prove you wrong." And he was like, "No, no, you can't." And I was like, "Prove." So we kept going over and back like this. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, then it was just like, right, okay, thanks a million, chatty. <laughs> and we just bought a house in, in Cardiff and uh, next thing we knew that I'd received a phone call from uh, Kenny Jacket and asking me would I be interested in coming to sign, sign for Millwall and I was like yeah absolutely so we got the ball in motion and after a few weeks then it was signed, sealed and delivered 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Achtung, Mehlball. It's an incredibly fragile profession, David. I always I remember one of the things that when I read um, Dunphy's book, he, he wrote a book about his time in the 70s at Mill. Mm. One thing that stood out was the the kind of fragility of the profession. You know, you situations like that. You know, you one minute you're 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 in, next to you don't, it's not working out, and and then you know, you, I suppose you're potentially one in bad injury from the end of a career and. It's um I, I know the rewards at the top are, are very high, but for the average footballer, it's it's quite a precarious, um, a great way of making a living. I know, but a quite a precarious one at the same time. Yeah, you're you're chasing, you're dreaming it, and there's always that sense of uncertainty in it, and that sense of instability and insecurity, and trying to battle through that while being a high performance athlete is a very very difficult task, um, and one that I suppose with experience, it, it gives you, mm. As, you know, with the amount of work I've been doing myself in terms of personal development and, and the work I do now with, with my company in terms of coaching, mentoring and personal development and working with, with the mind and uh, the power of the mind and that if it's channeled in the right way, in the right direction, you know, you can get amazing results. So it, it's taught me one thing that you know, it's uh, one thing my journey as a footballer and as goalkeepers taught me is about resilience. And especially as a goalkeeper, you know, you get knocked down 10 times, you get up 11. Or you get knocked down 20 times, you get up 21. And that captures the essence of Millwall. Like, you know, as many times as they get knocked, they keep coming back and they keep coming back for more. And that's the type of perseverance and resilience you need to, to have any longevity at the club. You really have to give it your all. What were your so, so, impressions of the den, David, and, 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 the, and the fans? I mean, the, they can be um, they can be a great um, asset to the on their day to the club. I mean, did you um, did you get the, the best of it? Do you think at the early days, or, or was it was it a kind of um, <laughs> were you wary as you entered the ground? Yeah, yeah, I was uh, contemplating wearing a hard hat. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, 
they crossed my mind. So, um, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best to start. We lost our first fight. Yeah, I was just going to say you had a couple of uh, defeats to start. Yeah, yeah. That was um, I don't think I, I could find a hole big enough if I wanted to jump that <laughs> you know, So that was like what you said. That was really uncertain times. You know, that was. Uh, as as a goalkeeper, when you're under that amount of pressure, it's fairly intense. You know, you're fairly insecure in yourself in that place, and you're just trying to find your feet. You're just trying to grasp anything to give a sense of stability. And where that stability came, one was probably just it changed the course of 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 my career at Millwall. Was we played Huddersfield and David Unsworth, big hammer foot from uh, ex Everton centre half. Yeah. Up in the last few minutes to take a penalty at nil all up at the away end and I managed to uh make a save, save the penalty and, and that seemed to kickstart their season and kickstart my career at Millwall. Now all of a sudden it was like right and I think the first year I saved something like five penalties. I haven't saved five penalties since <laughs> Divine Providence. I mean I, I do remember you saving a lot of penalties that season. Yeah, it was insane. Um, I mean that, that season built up to um a playoff uh, a great couple of uh, playoff wins at Lover Leeds and away um, a win at home and then an away draw famous goal by Jimmy Abdu up there and then I wanted to ask you and you got to forgive me for asking about the Scunthorpe final <laughs> um, the 3-2 loss that must have been a tough a tough gig to take that's a tough what that's a tough watch because Sky Sports are repeating it left right and center on um, you know every time you look it's there yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's 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 got everything really, hasn't it? It's got mm. the brilliance of Gary Alexander's goal, which is probably as we as we used to say, like you know, the best live goal we've ever seen. Yeah. And it was such a phenomenal strike, and even his second goal, and his how we never got that hat trick. I'll never know. Like especially Gary with his heading ability in the last minute to put that header wide from like three or four yards. It's you could do it a hundred times, and I, I, I'd ask, I'd definitely think Gary score a hundred, and he just put it wide for a hat trick at Wembley after scoring one of the biggest goals ever, like you know. <laughs> so there was there was so much in that game, but in terms of losing that game, was it was it was a real low point. It was a real low point. Was, I was uh, going to ask you, was that the low point for your time at Millwall? Would, would you say that? Would you choose that game as the low the low point? Um, I wouldn't say so. No, I think coming towards the end of my career was probably the hardest for me personally right um because of i suppose um i'd invested so much of my my energy and um everything into the club and then the way it just kind of dissipated out was mm. was disappointing for me and, and that did hurt um but in terms of it was a different style or a different type losing to scunthorpe it was it was like the ending of something and the beginning of another where we came into the change room afterwards and Kenny gave such a powerful speech where it was like, right, this is right. We put this behind us. This is about next year. We're going to get back to this same position next year. And like yeah. we divine providence, we were back in the same change room a year later. And, and we knew, we knew it in, we knew it in our souls. We knew it in our bones that we're going to actually win here today. Arguably, David, was it a tougher division though the year after? I mean, you had Norwich in there, Leeds in there, Chartwin in there. You know, it, it, it was it harder? I mean, to 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 do it again, you know, with the legs just that little bit heavier. What was it like? Yeah, um, it was certainly difficult um, because we didn't really get going. I think till we didn't really probably get going till what was it October 
Charles Runwood, yeah, just looking yeah, we at it. Were, yeah. We were really, really struggling. We were really struggling off the back of the hangover. It really affected our confidence and our self-belief. And no matter what we did, you know, Kenny tried many different tactics, you know, whether it was cha- changing training regimes, whether it was timings, whether it was what time we were in at, what time we were pouring. He was trying all sorts. And, you know, just from a psychological aspect, it was that seed was actually sown and we were still suffering from the disappointment. Um, and definitely there was still a, a lot of shock still going on there. Like, you know, there was still the, you know, people still frozen in that, in, in the shock of, of that result, like, you know, because it was such a memorable day. Like, I, I, I can't describe to you, lads. I can't tell you what it was like to walk out that day. And it was like 108 degrees or something. Yeah, it was a hot time. Oh, it was, you had fried eggs on the, on the bonnet, like, and next time we walk out onto the pitch and they got these flamethrowers and they're taking the eyebrows off it. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you got 55,000 Millwall fans so intense, just singing their hearts out just right behind us. And then you're just looking at the other end of the stadium and they got like eight or 12,000. So you're thinking, we deserve to be there, you know? And um, to be fair, it, it wasn't their day. And like what Kenny said afterwards, he said, look, this is the, I, I spoke to him on the bus afterwards and he said, look, David, he said, to be honest, he said, um, this is probably a blessing in disguise because we're not ready to be in the championship. He knew that deep down. He knew that if we went up that year, no more than what Scunthorpe did, they got absolutely lashed out with it. Most they people. did. Yeah, they did. Yeah. yeah. You're right. So um, it gave us, we were year wiser, that year smarter. And it really galvanised us, and I think it was great. It, we he made a couple of great acquisitions. Obviously, Steve Morrison was a revelation at the club. Um, when he first came, he couldn't hit a barn door. <laughs> <laughs> he, str- he struggled. He struggled, didn't he? For his, and everyone was kind of like, who is this guy? Like, you know, here. And to be fair to Kenny, like he kept persevering. And like that, we we had an amazing core of players. You know, we used to call ourselves the Secret Seven. And there was myself, um, uh, Chopper, uh, Paul Robinson, Alan Dunn, Gary Alexander, Andrew Frampton, and the seventh one will come to me now in a minute when I remember one of the nights out. But uh, we, we had such a, a core group that, you know, we, we were peer-led within, within the changing room. Like, you know, we really um, managed that and governed that. And it was excellently documented by, by Mike Calvin in, in yeah. The, family like you know what an amazing book and we be a part of that 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 time and it, it was it was it did feel like it was it was more than just a sense of fraternity and brotherhood it was it was definitely a family and when we we you know in terms of our families getting together the wives and girlfriends and, and the kids and children it was a really a really close time and it was probably in terms of that it's probably the closest i've felt in in any other club i've ever been at and that season built up to a playoff win in the end, as we know now. But I mean, the, the the kind of first crescendo, if that's the right way to put it, was the the Huddersfield um, playoff wins. I mean, I I was interested to know from your playing perspective what it's like to be in the den on a night like that. Because from the from the terraces, I was in the west stand, upper west stand. Um, the noise was deafening up there, Dave. I don't know what it's like on the pitch. It always feels. Um, quite claustrophobic when you're out on the pitch and the, I can only imagine what the cacophony is like when you're in the middle of a, of a night like that. There's one thing when I always reflect back on my time at Millwall and I always have to ask myself the question and I say, imagine that stadium was packed, I mean packed to the rafters every week 
mm. and the likes of seventeen, eighteen thousand every week, because there's there's no place like it. When you hear the monks chant and when the fans get behind you, whether it was Aston Villa in the FA Cup, whether it was Huddersfield, whether it was wherever it was, there was there was something about that stadium that when it was packed and full, that's when I came to my best. That's when I felt, wow, this is why I feel alive on the pitch. When it was, you know, eight, nine thousand, quite a bit low, you could actually hear you could hear what was being said up. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> that wasn't true. The, the piercing remarks. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But I, I definitely think when, when, you know, that was what, 17, 18,000. I've been in stadiums and are even at Wembley in front of 90,000. And the noise out of it is just phenomenal. Speaking to other players, I remember going down to Portsmouth and Gary Roberts and going back to the Huddersfield game. Gary played for Huddersfield that night and I started giving him a bit of stick. I said, Gary, Gaz, I said, do you remember the time we played you at the den? And he was like, oh my God, he said, we were petrified. <laughs> and I says, yeah, I said, I know. Do you remember your face on Sky and the still show the games? Where I think it's towards the end of the game and the ball goes out just over the, um, I don't know which, uh, goes into one of the stands anyhow. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this man picks up the ball anyhow, and Gary Roberts is meant the left winger meant to be going over taking the throw in, and the fan holds the ball in one hand and he's calling him over with his <laughs> sucking him in, and the camera zooms straight down on Gary, and he's trying his best not to shake his head, but he's shaking his head, going, "No, no, I'm not going over." <laughs> oh dear, it's wonderful stuff. <laughs> The, the two goals Cut. that night from from like Robbo's header was an absolute yeah. bullet header and stuff like you know, and then Morrow's um I suppose well it, it was a nasty one because it, it could have bobbled anywhere and he managed to just bundle it into the net and that that's when you know that's that, that's one of my fondest memories is coming off that pitch getting absolutely carried off that pitch and nothing left but me sluggies on afterwards like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. that's an image <laughs> it's not a nice one <laughs> it stopped me with my train of thought Dave <laughs> you, go, you go back to Wembley though Dave you go back to Wembley a year later Swindon different sort of team and you look you look at you know who you had to beat as well Huddersfield who go on to you know, in the next few years to go and sort of you know do well in the championship and then go up to the Premier League you, you beat them you get past them what was the what was the feeling sort of leading up to that playoff final? Was it a case of you know exercising demons? Was it a case of fresh start? What was it? I mean, it was one goal from a, a proper you know a proper proper Millwall man that that got you got you through. But but what was the thoughts leading up to it? Well, coming up to it, we had um, we were actually promoted on the last game of the season. Well, not technically, but. Over the airwaves, we were playing Swindon. Can you remember that game, the last game of the season? And we had to beat Swindon. I think we beat That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And Leeds were losing to Bristol Rovers, where Bristol Rovers were relegated. Um, I think Leeds were down to nine men. Um, Rovers were actually beaten. Then their goalkeeper, Anderson, Mikael Anderson or something like that, caught the ball uh, at the cop end and threw it out. And it got intercepted, and next thing, crossed the ball, and uh, Beckford or someone scored in the last few minutes and stuff. So at one stage, we were actually, I was like, is this actually really happening? We, we were all set on the playoffs. Next thing, we we're getting promoted. Next thing, Leeds score, and it was kind of deflation again. And we were like, oh my God, here we go with the lottery of, 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 the, um, the, lottery of, of the playoffs. 
but it stood to us to test the time, you know, the experience from the year before playing the playoffs. So we knew what we were getting ourselves into. We knew how to manage our time. We knew how to manage the game um, over the, the, the course of the game. And like that as well, it was all about exercising those demons. But we had a, a, a great confidence. We had a great confidence within the team and we had great experience. Um, great players like Darren Ward as well and, and Robbo. Uh, we had a fantastic back four. We kept serious amount of clean sheets and we even kept two in the playoff finals and one in the final so yeah that was that, that was a great personal achievement of my own i was delighted with that and then getting to the final was was was, was special we we rocked up to the stadium and it's such an experience to be on that bus just leaving the hotel and all of a sudden you're coming up through north london and you can see the arch faintly in the distance and as you get that bit closer, it starts to get a bit bigger, starts to get a bit bigger. And next thing you start to see, you know, a couple of stragglers, a couple of fans just making their way in the colours. Next thing there's more people, more flags, more banners. They see the team bus coming in and they're just ecstatic and electric for the occasion that it actually is an absolute celebration. Um, and then as we get to the stadium, you know, you go down underground, Millwall fans just absolutely chomping at the bit. Kenny, Kenny, um, came down and asked like like that the the core lads what did we want to do in terms of suits and stuff um, and we said no nah, we're just going tracksuits we're we're we had our we had our unbelievable book the tracksuits on lovely shell navy ones really itchy and uncomfortable <laughs> as if you weren't uncomfortable enough playing the playoff final you know <laughs> uh, yeah so we um we decided that we were just like we were totally focused we knew what was what was at stake and um i remember us lining up in the tunnel and some of the swindon players they all arrived down in their in their suits they looked really dapper really smart they were looking at us thinking who were these lads rocking up to? <laughs> and uh so they were there with their cameras and looking around and we just didn't even look at them we didn't even focus on them we were in the tunnel they were all still looking around and all, and we just had our eyes on the pitch. You know, all we seen, all I seen was the back of Paul Robinson's head. Um, I'm, it just strikes me. I mean, I, I was on the edge of my seat in that game, that Swindon match, and we, we went ahead in the first half, didn't we, through uh, Robbo's close-range um, goal. And then it was just like chewing my fingers. I'm, I'm, it made me laugh Wait, earlier on when you said how the, the squad were confident going into the game because I was on the edge of my seat for the whole I'll tell you what, Nick, I, fa- I found the clip of Charlie Austin's miss <laughs> Charlie um, Austin's miss I mean Dave <laughs> Dave, Dave he's, he's put through on goal come on Dave what, what tell us what 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 goes through your eyes <laughs> well uh, my job was you know to keep the ball out of the net I could only imagine what's going through Paul Robinson's mind he's thinking I'm just after get a score in here at Wembley now I'm just after giving them uh their centre forward, an absolute gift, borderline goal. He went to give a back pass to me, left it short. Next thing, Charlie Austin gets it and he's running that pace at me. And I suppose Charlie Austin was a bit of an unknown at the time. No one really, you know, he was a prospect and everything else. No one ever realised he'd go on to have the career that he actually did. Um, And as he's coming through on goal, I thought, right, I'll narrow my angles down here. And the closer and closer I got to him, what I can only describe to you was, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. Time slowed down. I'm not joking. It. And all I could see is the ball just just popping up off the turf. Everyone, everyone was giving off about the surface for years, saying, "Oh, Wembley surface is shocking." I was like, "It was brilliant. I loved it." And, uh, it. It hit a clump of grass, 
and it just popped up and it hit his shin and he's hit it. But as it's gone past me, I was that far out. I thought, oh no, that's a goal. And all I'm thinking, all I, all I could hear myself in slow motion is going, no. <laughs> as I turn, and as I turn, the ball goes about ten yards wide. Well, that's from Paul Robinson. I actually got a weakness. Like I didn't know what to do after it. Like I was taking the goal kick, and I was still shook from it. Like you know, <laughs> it's a phenomenal miss when you watch it. I mean, the fact is, I mean, I love the way you went down to your near post as well. He's no chance he's going there, mate. But yeah. you know, it, it was it was it brilliant. Got in his head. <laughs> you, you, you got in his head. I mean, Tony Craig obviously hobbled off injured as well that game. He, he must have been a big miss. Yeah, Tony was massive, um, and Tony went through his fair fair share of injuries as well. I think earlier on last season, uh, yeah, did, yeah. he broke his uh, fractured his cheekbone. Gareth Ains were absolutely bicycle kicked him into the into the cheekbone, but they were. Uh, I think then the following year we played again at Wickham, and he did the exact same thing on the same part of the pitch. It was really really amazing. But uh, yeah, there was there was incidents like that throughout the season where we had an absolute a mass brawl on the pitch. And it really seemed to galvanise the team as well. Like, you know, everyone just piled in. Um, what happened was, you know, his, his cheekbone was actually um, cemented into his face. Like, you know, so that was that was pretty rough. And then to, to get injured in the final, all I remember is him running onto the pitch afterwards, just smashing people with crutches, giving them hugs and not realising there was people standing <laughs> behind them. <laughs> do, do, um, do, do do moments like that leave a bitter taste in the mouth afterwards, David? I mean, in, in later, I mean, to do that once, once is unfortunate, twice seems uh, searching for the right words here. But I mean, do, how do, when you leave the football pitch, I know you leave it behind, but does it does it leave a sour taste in your mouth afterwards? Yeah, I suppose it depends on the, the degree and the severity and you know, like, you know, and the, the intentional aspect of it. Yeah. I suppose the part of being sportsmanship, you know. Yeah, if, if if people conduct themselves in, in the right manner and, you know, there's there's a handshake afterwards and stuff, we know that when we're going out onto the pitch, there's there's every chance that you could get seriously injured or seriously hurt. But that's that's the that's the risk we, we take. Um, so, yeah, these things, you know, they do spill on for quite some time. I imagine. No, no more than what we were saying earlier about, you know, the Leeds game and. Beckford giving me an absolute elbow and smashing me lip in the league game up at Ellen Road and stuff, and he got banned after it and stuff. So there's always then the, the years afterwards where you're like, right, he's definitely not scoring like, <laughs> against him in that sense. But these days you work as a counsellor dealing with um, <laughs> with issues of this kind, I guess. <laughs> yeah, not far off it, yeah, not far off it. <laughs> what, what, what were the celebrations like, Dave? Um... Celebrations were amazing. Uh, <laughs> came in afterwards, and uh, there was there was beers flying around. Um, then John Burleson comes down into the change room and he starts sparking up a cigar, like brand new. Like it must have cost him four hundred million or four hundred billion to build the stadium or something like you know. Like John Burleson comes in, and he tries to burn the place down while they're trying to run in and thing. And he was like, "I don't care." I don't care. I'll build another Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Sounds like he's had a few drinks himself. Yeah, oh, yeah. He was flat out on the old, uh, the old brandy. And then uh, he pulled out another cigar and I pulled the cigar off him, like, you know. What are you doing? What are you doing? I was like, I'm with him. <laughs> so, I mean, Iconic images. I mean, these are wonderful images. They they live in the, in the hearts of all Millwall fans forever. You know, they, these are the... 
the glory days, like the song says, aren't they? I mean, this is yeah. this this is what you live for when you go into football, I guess. This is these are the moments, aren't they? It was absolute rioter rover stuff. I I didn't touch a drop of drink that night. I was on such an absolute high, you know, it was such a peak experience there that I I didn't actually need anything. I didn't need any substance. Didn't need anything, and yeah. such a high that you know it took probably two or three days to come down. Or the adrenaline that was coursing through my veins was was phenomenal. So. um yeah, but we still had great fun, really enjoyed ourselves. And, uh, you know, the celebrations went on for a few days and then it was right holiday time rest. And you're going straight in again from such a high to thinking, right, we've only got probably three and a half weeks to prepare here for a championship, championship season. Championship season, that's right. Yeah, that a lot of us still had to prove ourselves at. Um, so, you know, that's, that's one thing about being a high performance athlete is, you're always striving to be to be better. You're always striving, and then oftentimes you can forget where you actually were. You know, you're always thinking about the destination rather than the actual journey. So it was uh, it was a, a great summer. You know, it was great to, to to finally achieve that goal and do it in such a short space of time as well. You know, going from two years before that to being relegation fodder, being relegated to League Two or whatever division it was at the time for the first time in the club's history to to getting promoted um, and you know we we entered the following season with with pure momentum we ended up finishing ninth and I think it was only probably three games out missed out on the playoffs yeah that, we came close yeah we, that season we came very very close to uh, to getting promoted and I think that and probably a few years later where we were fifth at Christmas and really flying high I think we're unbeaten in 18 19 games and we had Chris Wood um, yep. unfortunately we, we couldn't sign him or he went to Leicester and then we end up which was a random season from going to being the best chance I felt as the club of getting promoted to just staying up on the last day of the season against Derby away it was phenomenal yeah we, we, we specialise in weird seasons like that day, don't we at the den yeah. but it's yeah. always a roller coaster, right that's for yeah. sure listening to part one of the David Ford interview with Akron Mills, Aaron Ford and Nick Hart. To hear part two, tune into edition number 239 on the Akron Mill feed on Acast, Apple or Spotify. Thank you for listening. Achtung, Mehlball. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.